How's everybody doing? There's some sun back there if you're cold. If you're hot, there's some shade up here. So um, I want to let you know about something. Um, you can turn your Bible to First Peter. We'll get there in just a second. So um, you don't want to miss next Sunday. Okay, um, here's the deal next Sunday. Um, one of my, uh, we have the opportunity to partner with a church in Bolivar, Missouri, um, called Freshwater Church. Uh, they're doing uh, some incredible work in Africa, as well as Asia, and uh, we're in the midst of conversations about um, joining their work um, in one of those two places. Okay, and so um, their missions guy, who's actually one of my best friends, uh, is coming here next Sunday, and he's going to be preaching, and he's going to kind of be uh, just unpacking some of the stuff that they're doing and some of the opportunities that are on the forefront for us, okay? And so um, I'm really, really excited about next week. Um, one quick reminder, next week, um, we're back in there, uh, we believe, and, um, um, and we're at 9 a.m., okay? Um, so I want to ask you to pray, okay, because we're in some really good conversation um, with uh, the people that own two different buildings right over there. Um, I can see the steeple of one of the, of the St. Ferdinand Shrine. We're in really good conversation. I'm actually going to a board meeting, not this Tuesday, but next Tuesday to kind of unpack our plans. Um, and there's some really good possibilities. November is what we're talking about right now as far as a place for our new home. So we, can we pray that into being? Okay. I know like we're kind of like, man, what, what are we doing? Where are we landing? Um, we believe God has a place for us, um, and we're going to pray that's it, okay? Um, it's actually a different building than, than we've, some, of, some of the buildings that maybe some of you have seen um, right across the parking lot. Anyway, um, so you don't want to miss next Sunday at 9 a.m. Um, it's going uh, to be good. Let me pray. Papa, you are at work in our midst. God, you are sovereign over all things. You're here among us. And God, you want to, to minister to our souls this morning. God, in fact, I believe you already have been doing that. And so God, I beg of you, um, God, that you would free us from distraction. That you'd bind the enemy his works and effects from what he wants to do to thwart your plan this morning. And God, that you would engage our hearts, that we'd see you in ways we've never seen before, that we'd repent in ways we've never repented before, that we'd forgive in ways we've never forgiven before. So God, um, reel us in. God, not by my ability to wow a crowd, but by your sheer glory, might we be undone this morning. Have your way, I pray. Um, in Christ's name, amen. So, by nature, you and I are conformists. Okay, it's why in Romans 12, Paul says, do not conform to the world. You familiar with that passage? Do not conform to the world, but be transformed by renewing your mind. So, by nature, we're conformists. Okay, um, 
the things that are trendy, the things that are cool, the things that everyone else is doing, oftentimes at some point become the things that everyone else is doing. Okay, it's why personally, like I'm, I'm really trying with everything that I am to not become a part of Instagram. Like I'm on Instagram for one purpose, to look at the pictures my wife posts because I can't see them anywhere else. Okay, that's all I want. But I'm like, everyone's doing it. I'm not. So pray for me to hold strong because the other day I was almost like, I'm doing it. No, no, that's another thing. Okay, but, but we're conformists, right? I mean, we could list numerous things. It's why it's called pop culture. It's what's popular. Okay, 800 million active users on Facebook. That is unbelievable. Okay? I'm sure we could all go around and talk about people that are on Facebook that we're like, yeah, we know how to use a computer. Because we're conformists. We do what everyone else is doing. Okay? 80% of unmarried evangelical young adults, 18 to 29, have had sex. Why? Because they can't wait any longer? Because everyone else is having sex. So they're joining the crowd. Okay, by nature, we are conformists. Here's the deal. This morning, what we're going to unpack, you have absolutely zero chance of walking out if you're a conformist. Zero chance. Okay? Um, the biblical imperative, imperative of this text will not allow you to do what everyone else is doing. Okay, and I'm going to warn you, it's not popular, it's not trendy, it's not cool. In fact, it's the opposite. And if you've been around the Bible very long, you should know that's the truth about Jesus. And the call to follow him is that we're different. Okay? And that is not going to be, couldn't be any more clear. Okay, by nature, a Christian is contrary to the world. Okay? Now, um, for the past several weeks, we've been unpacking um, how to live in relationship based on our identity that was in for the beginning of First Peter. And we've been unpacking how to live in relationship um, with believers, with non-believers, um, how to live in relationships pertaining to the authority that's over us, um, how to live in relationships in the home, so husbands, wives. And in this text, Peter's going to broaden the scope, and he's going to say, this is for everybody. Okay? How to live in relationship mainly with Christians, but also with non-Christians. Um, look at First uh, Peter chapter 3. Verse 8. It says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. I'm going to stop there. Okay, we're going to talk about what it means to live on the contrary. To live contrary to the ways of the world. Um, here's the first thing. You're going to have to pay attention because there's not a screen for these things to pop up on. Um, the first thing is to be humble. Verse, that's, that's what verse 8 is all about. Be humble. Okay, now here's what you need to know. Humility in the context of what, when Peter was writing in the Greco-Roman society was absolutely disdained. It was not popular, kind of like today, okay? It was a sign of weakness. That you couldn't defend yourself. It was a sign of shame to be humble. 
And it's interesting, Peter here lays out humility as a foundational principle to a flourishing community. It's a distinctive quality. And just as it wasn't popular then in this day, it's not popular today. You go around the you go around, we could go over into Deerberg's right in there, and it wouldn't take very long to find someone that's full of themselves. To find someone that they're living for their own agenda, they're all about them, and really could care less about others. You've been around those types of people? Sometimes we are those types of people, aren't, aren't we? Um, they love talking about what they're doing, right? Um, They'll, they'll rarely ever ask you what, what you're about, what you like. It's all about them. There's a sense of self-pity about them. Oh, did you hear what this person did to me? There's a sense of entitlement. Okay, they're easily wronged, easily offended, some of them. Okay. Um, so what is humility? Um, let me unpack this real quick. Humility is this. A lot of times we would think humility is, okay, me thinking of myself in, in a low state. And that's not humility. It's a false sense of humility, probably. Humility is really not thinking of yourself at all. Okay, look back at the text. Finally, all of you have unity of mind. Peter's going to give us some practical steps. And let's just walk through these, these words just real quickly. Um, have unity of mind. Um, what, what is unity of mind? Like, like-mindedness. Okay, wouldn't you agree that in order to be like-minded, there has to be some intentionality on the part of two individuals? Okay, in order to have similar train of thought, it, it's going to take some conversation. It's going to take some work together to see what's in your head, what's in my head, and how does that work together or not work together. Here's the best example that, that I could think of. Team sports. Right? I mean, good teams, that ha- they have unity of mind. They know what's going on in each other's heads. Otherwise, when a guy yells blue 37 and they don't have a clue what that means, it's going to go bad, right? They have unity of mind. Okay, um, a couple of the best one-two combos that I can think of, um, specifically in basketball back in the day, Jordan Pippen, Malone, Carl Malone, John Stockton. Why were they so good? He could tell you what he's going to do in the next three moves. Why? they practiced together. They knew what was going on in each other's heads. There was unity of mind. It required you to actually be intentional about the other person and not just be about yourself and what you want to do. It's hard sometimes, isn't it? Sympathy. Next word is sympathy. Um, This is a really cool word. It's two words in the original language. To be together with and to suffer. To be together, to suffer together with. This physical presence with someone to suffer with them. If you've been there, you know that's a humbling deal. Because you really don't feel like you can offer anything to them, but your sheer presence in the midst of their suffering is everything to them. Brotherly love, it's not this feeling, okay, but a high regard for someone other than yourself. To love someone as a brother, as your own. Tenderheartedness, okay? Sympathy was this external reality. Tenderheartedness brings it in 
okay? This internal heart, emotional emphasis, okay? Compassion. So many of you carry this quality unbelievably well. The compassion among this amount of this group of people is it just blows me away on a on a regular basis. And the last one is a humble mind. It's just a humble attitude. Just doesn't matter how much you know or what you know. Like you're just those things just aren't important. You demonstrate humility in your mind towards one another, towards yourself. Ephesians four says, "Be." kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Okay, look at verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Okay, so the first one was to be humble. The second one is to bless. Now, you thought humility was hard, okay? You started to check out when I started talking about being humble. Just wait, okay? Because this is gonna take it to another level because if we can't understand what it means to not think of ourselves, to live humbly before one another, there's no way in the world we can walk out what it means to bless at all. Why? Why? Well, this talks about repaying evil. Okay, what's the goal of repaying evil? Can somebody tell me? What would be the goal of repaying evil? There's one goal in mind when it comes to repaying evil. Revenge. Yourself. I'm going to get them. There's one motive behind it, and it's here. It's you. Yeah, part of it's how they're going to feel, but you're going to like what they experience. Revenge. That's not humility. Okay? Now, here's the thing that's foundational. Okay? When it comes to not repaying evil, when it comes to not getting revenge, here's what's absolutely foundational, and you can never walk this out until you grasp this. How offensive is your sin before a holy God? If you don't come to grips with this reality, if I don't come to grips with the reality that my sin before a holy God is on an offensive level that doesn't even compare with anyone's sin against me, you will never walk in humility and you will never truly forgive others. You won't. We live as if we're God. Oh, you just wronged me. How could you do that? Well, let's rewind the tape and let's look at our lives. Let's look at God's intent for us. Let's look at God's design for us and let's look at what we've done in light of him. So take out your list. You know what list I'm talking about? The one you keep of people that have wronged you? You know, 2005, your friend forgot your birthday. Remember that, huh? It seems harsh, but you laugh. People do that. 
hold it against him forever. You know, January 27, 2007, your spouse said something incredibly hurtful to you. You even know the date. And you even bring it up on occasion. Do you remember when you did that to me? thought you were my friend. Maybe you don't verbalize it, but you bring it up here. Or maybe it's when you were a kid and a parent betrayed you and you're bitter about it to this day. Can I ask us this question? And I say us because I'm in this as well. Do we think we're better than Jesus? Now, I know what you're thinking when I ask that. Oh, come on, that's just not fair. Okay, look in your Bible. No, really, look down. Bible in front of you. If you don't have one, there's one over there on the table. Okay, I want you to glance up or left, whichever it is, to 2.23. 1 Peter 2.23. When he was reviled, this is Jesus, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. That's Jesus. He continued, continued, not just entrusting the situation, he continued to entrust himself. God had the power to absolutely destroy every one of those Romans but he entrusted himself to the Lord. We think we have more rights than Jesus. We wouldn't say that, but the Bible says that. In the way that we live out, how we view forgiveness. Okay, what's reviling? Abusive speech, insults, railings, harsh words. that sometimes we think aren't that big of a deal when we give them, but they're cutting and they're the ways of the enemy. Okay, do you know what? When you live your life, when I live my life in such a way to repay evil, when someone wrongs you and you live your life, I'm gonna get them back. Here, here's what you're saying. Here's what I'm saying. God, I don't trust you. I don't trust you. So I'm gonna play the part of you I'm going to do the dirty work. I'm going to bring vengeance. I'll make right the wrong. Don't worry about it, God. I got this. And here's the lie of the enemy. You're going to gain something by doing this. That's what the enemy's saying. If you get revenge, it's going to feel so good. And you're going to gain something from it. But here's what the Bible teaches. One of the truest marks of spiritual maturity is the ability to forgive. That's a tough deal. That's a tough, tough thing. And sin is hard and offensive. But I think there's two ways this plays out. And we make one look worse than the other. Here, here are the two ways. Okay, so Retaliation. Retaliation that's based in verbal outward speech. Okay, where you let them know how you feel about what they did. 
as if it's some therapy for your soul. That felt so good to get that out. Okay, and now what we would do is we would see that and we'd be like, whoa, they just said that. Wow. Okay, as if it's so wrong. Okay, here's the other one. Suppression. Nonverbal, inward grudges or bitterness. They're the same. There's no difference between the two. Because what happens is, whether you ever verbalize those, it's here, and it's affecting the way you interact with that person. You might do it in a very tactful way, but it's just as much as wicked. Because Jesus says, forgive as the Lord's forgiven you. So they're, they're not different. We, we want to make them different. I don't think we can make them different. I think they're very much on the same playing field. Very much so. And both are self-dependent solutions that put God out of the equation and don't require us to trust Him in any way whatsoever. But when you hold it in here, What do you do? You entrust it to the Lord. Or you go have a conversation with someone. Um, do you realize that sometimes we hold grudges against someone that doesn't even know they sinned against us? I just, a couple months back, I had somebody come to me and they said, um, I just need to tell you this. I don't know if you realize you said this to me, um, but it, it kind of hurt me, and I just, I need to tell you this because I just didn't want the enemy to get a foothold. I didn't want to become bitter towards you. And the person told me what I said, and like, I had no clue. It's like, wow, um, I didn't realize that came across that way. That wasn't my intent. I'm sorry. Like, that's maturity. Okay, rather than this person becoming bitter towards me for something I didn't realize I said, or I, maybe I realized I said it, but I had no intent in how this person articulated it. And all it took was a conversation to say, is this what you meant? This was hurtful. That's not what I meant at all. That's, that's maturity. That's spiritual maturity. Okay, so here's the question maybe some of you are asking. Well, what about the person that their intent is wicked? Like, the, the, it's not this passive, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know I did that, but it's like blatant, oh, no, I know I did that. I intended to do that. I've been planning that for a long time. What do you do with them? Here's the truth you need to know. God will one day right all wrongs. Can I free you up here? It's not your job. It's not my job. Some of us have made a part-time job out of righting wrongs. Oh, what did, what did they say to you? Oh, I got this. You just sit tight, get some coffee. I will take care of them. And then we go around and we talk to everyone else about them. Okay, you've, you've seen this play out. Have you not? Okay. But, but here's, here's the deal. 
this morning, can I promote us? Can I give us a new job? Can I give us a raise, so to speak? What's your job? Look back at verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Like, do you hear that? So what is our role as Christians to bless? Why? That's our identity. That's, that's innate within us, wrought through the blood of Christ, that we be a blessing to people. And not just repay evil. What does it mean to bless? To publicly speak well of someone. That's easy if you feel like they're worthy of it. But let's think for a second about what we're worthy of. Hell. Right? To invoke God's favor on someone. So here's what it means to bless. To give grace to someone. Like in a world where retaliation and revenge is all over the place. Grace and forgiveness is refreshing and life-giving. And it's our call as Christ's followers. So spiritual maturity isn't just holding your tongue. It's not just bottling it up, but it's entrusting it to the Lord and even in some cases having a conversation with someone about it. Let me give you an example. Um, So five years I taught Bible at North County Christian School. And... Um, so anytime you have students that are forced to come to a Bible class, um, it creates some interesting, um, dynamics. Okay. It's one thing for me to say, Hey, uh, you know, we're going to study, um, you know, Proverbs come over to my house. And if you come, it's like, you kind of want to be there, but this is like, you're going to come to this school. You're going to go here. And so there's students that are like, I don't want to be at this school, but my parents made me come to this school. And so there's students that like really believe in the Lord, but then there's, I mean, there's parents that really believe in the Lord, but there's students that really like. They're just not doing that thing, okay? So I had this one girl several years back, and I don't even know if she's still there. Um, her name was Claire. And so it's the first day of school. I'm in class. And, and I saw Claire, and I knew. I just, I just knew looking at Claire in my room. She's going to be a tough one. This is going to be a long school year, okay? Um, but there's something within me that really, like, like that's a competition, Okay? Like, not like I'm going to defeat her, but like, there's something within me that makes me want to win her over. Okay, and I, and I experienced this numerous times throughout my time teaching, um, but it was very obvious. She'd come into class, bitter at the world, okay, tough home situation, did not believe in God. She's in a Christian school, in a Bible class, she's required to, to memorize scripture, okay, she wasn't doing it. Head down, dirty looks. So here's what I did. I just made an effort. Hey, Claire, how you doing? How's your day going? Ignore me. Hey, what'd you do this week? Just befriended her. Just blessed her with my, my relationship, just with my presence, just with words. 
by mid-year. The girl was walking in the room. Hey, Mr. Koontz, how you doing today? A different girl, okay, would work hard at memory verses. Now, it doesn't mean she fully believed. She was still wrestling, and it's fine, okay? But, like, I'd won her over. How? I was just blessing her. I could be ticked at her, like, okay, you not believe in God. Why don't you wake up, sit up, quit doing your math, quit sleeping in class. Yeah, there might have been times I kind of got on her about that. But more than not, I knew, okay, if I come at her with that approach, I've lost her for the year. So I made it my aim to bless her. Now, I don't have any reason to believe she became a Christ follower. But I have reason to believe she, I gained her respect. She listened to me and she learned from me and she learned from the Bible and she began to work hard in class. How? Simply by being a blessing. That's all, that's all it took. Romans 12 puts it like this. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, which is what we're talking about, living contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Like, yeah, I'll poison his food, you better believe it. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, don't poison his drink, give him a good drink. That's not what it says, but that's my, my interpretation. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, if you feed your enemy with the goal of, I'm going to heat burning coals on their head, and that's kind of the wrong motive there. But what is it saying? Is that when you bless those who you should never bless according to worldly standards, they come to this realization. They ask, why? The way I've treated you, and you treat me with such blessing. Why? Because when we're proactive in living a life of blessing others, of pouring God's grace into others, because we've so freely received through the cross of Christ Jesus, we're pushing back what is dark. We're pushing back the ways of the enemy. And we're living contrary to the ways of the world. And it says that you may obtain a blessing. What does that mean? It means joy. Is that when you walk out God's design, when I walk out God's design to live as a blessing to the meanest of people, to the most indifferent of people, to the most loving people. It's where joy and purpose are found. It's where we vive. Right? Now look at verse 10. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those 
who do evil. So Peter is going to go here. To, he's quoting directly from Psalm 34, and he's going to unpack several things. And I just want to give you three things that I think he's trying to communicate as an illustration of what it looks like and what happens when we bless. Here's the first thing. God is never more for you than when you're seeking to walk in obedience to Jesus. God is never more for you than when you are seeking to walk in obedience to him. I'm not saying you do it every time. I'm not saying you're always victorious and you're always successful. But when you're seeking to walk in obedience to him, God is never more for you. That's why the Beatitudes says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So there's not a promise of, you know, whoever desires to love life and see good days. We could go around and say, you know, do you desire to love life? Do you want life to go well for you? Do you want to see good days? I don't think anybody in here would say, no, I'm good, thanks. Bring the rain, bring the sulfur. I love it when it's awful. No, no one's going to say that, okay? But this isn't a promise of wealth and freedom from pain and suffering. Because I know people that walk intimately with Jesus that have had the most horrific things in their life happen. But what happens? It's pushed them deeper into joy in the Lord. Here's the second thing. Joy in Christ is never more real than when you're running from sin and running to Jesus. Joy in Christ is never more real than when you're running from sin and running to Jesus. So my kids, the times when they're absolutely high on life, living it up, giggling, belly laughing, are the times when their joy and our joy before one another are at their best. Okay? When, they're, when we're walking in fellowship with one another. When they're walking in the design that we set for them as parents that God has set for them. And the last thing that's interesting about this passage, um, I would submit to you this. God is also never more for you than when his discipline is a present reality in your life. Okay, what, what does it say here? Like, I had to wrestle with this. Okay, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Like, that's kind of scary. Okay, because there's times I do evil. Okay, but I had to read this in light of Romans 8. Okay, Romans 8 says this, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus died. More than that, he was raised. He's at the right hand of the Father who indeed is interceding for us, who's constantly saying to God, God, don't treat them as their sins deserve. God, hold back your, 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 your wrath from them. For I died in their place. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God. So what? So how you doing? How, how you doing in living in humility? Of living out, being a, being a blessing to the people that you're around. The aroma of Christ 
They're the only Jesus that some people may ever see. Are you loving him well? To the extent that you struggle to do that, can I tell you, God's for you. God's lovingly all about you and desires by his spirit to fill you with power and strength to walk out what he's called you to walk out. It's not in your power. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your conviction this morning. God, this is a tough text. So I pray your kindness, that your kindness would lead us to repentance. That you'd lovingly grab a hold of us, that you'd pursue us, that you'd call us to repentance. God, to submit to you as our Savior. That you would reign in our lives as supreme, as enough for us. God, where there's people in our lives that have offended us, we've made it our job to get revenge. Papa, would you take that from us? And God, might we live free of those things because we're surrendering them to you. God, show us ways that we need to walk in obedience this morning. People we need to talk to. God, enable us to see the horrificness of our sin before you. God, might that mobilize us to live out a blessing to one another. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.